0: Welcome to this episode of Saintly Witnesses, where I talk to the Catholic behind the account. Today I'm speaking with Mike Lewis, who's going to come on and talk a little bit about his faith journey uh, in the Catholic Church, and also talk about a little bit of the important work that he does or what his website called uh, Where Peter Is. So thank you for uh, coming on and talking about the most important stuff of the day with us.
1: (laughs) Well, thank you for having me, Efren. I've been looking forward to this.
0: Yeah, it's it's real funny because... uh, Although we've been like acquainted since last summer, it's like our first time <laughs> actually like talking face to face.
1: Yeah, that's, I mean, I've cool. I've listened to your podcast and I've I've seen you on other like live streams and stuff. So like I'm familiar with you, but yeah, this is our first actual conversation in the yeah in the flesh. Well, I, you're in
0: Houston, I'm I'm in Maryland, so yeah, two different time zones. But thankfully, we made it happen. Yeah. Um, yeah, just a little bit about, you know, where, where Peter is, you know, where Peter is is a, a great, you know, online online website dedicated to like the major themes and important topics uh, that surround the church and especially um, like defending the pontificate of Pope Francis against like the small but like vocal critics within the church. So definitely a big vital resource to uh, to have right now in the church. Um, so let's get started with the conversation, man. Um, I know I read a little bit about your faith journey in American magazine, I believe uh, with your mother. Um, so talk a little bit about your faith journey, like how was it growing up middle life and like led you to now, like what are some important, you know, milestones that happened?
1: Yeah. So I guess you could say I, you know, I'm a, I'm a cradle Catholic and, um, when you talk about the the face behind the account, I guess you <laughs> you're talking about uh, Catholic Twitter, Catholic social media, um, and I was raised in. So people who are familiar with that are familiar with the different scenes: the traditionalists, the uh, you know the overly political, the um, conservative, the liberal. I grew up, I would say, in a, a conservative Catholic family. Um, with, with very, with some traditionalist tendencies. Um, You know, we were, we were very faithful family. Um, My dad was a convert to the faith. He, he got, um, he became Catholic shortly before my parents got married. And I know you're a convert. Your wife is a convert. My dad's case, it's kind of funny because he's a convert and he became Catholic when he was about 25 years old. But I want to say that his inspiration for becoming Catholic was just because he was marrying a Catholic, right? And the funny thing is, so what I what I kind of realized about him was that he was like a cradle Catholic, who was born at 25 years old. <laughs> so he didn't read his way into the church, but just because of his, you know, his his love for my mom and and just he grew up Methodist and, you know, in a church going family, but had fallen away in college and and late in high school. And, um, but he, he understood, you know, why it was good to have a, you know, a Christian family that went to church. Um, So he, he became um, Catholic and my mom was a very, very involved Catholic, um, very involved in pro-life ministry, um, read a lot of Catholic books um, her dad was, was Catholic as well. And her mom had converted, um, her dad was maybe not as active a Catholic. He was more of a reader, you know, he, I mean, he went to mass and he was a practicing Catholic, but then when Vatican II came around, um, I think that kind of traumatized him and they belonged to, I think the single most liberal parish in, in the area, but he was so conservative that it never occurred to him because Catholics uh, traditionally go to the parish that's in the area where they live, never occurred to him to go to the next parish over. (laughs) So I think going to a, going to a church that had like liturgical dance and I mean, all kinds of liturgical abuses like homemade bread or, um, you know, let's pass out cups of, of communion wine, you know, and I mean, like really experimental stuff that I think really was like, he's like, I mean, he was correct. It was like, this is not right. But in other ways, I think it made him suspicious of the church in general, um, suspicious of the council, uh, suspicious of the Pope and all the bishops. And I mean, granted this, this kind of stuff you hear, I mean, I'm sure you've read about it. it it happened. Some of it still happens today, you know, around the church. Um, But his reaction, I think, was sort of to develop this, maybe this bunker mentality. And he he started to get into some of these conspiracy theories about infiltration of communists and Freemasons into the Catholic Church who were trying to change Catholic teaching. And a lot of these things are the things that, like, um, Taylor Marshall is, you know, promoting today.
0: Right, right. And so I grew up. Old themes that just come up again. Oh, yeah.
1: So it's like I grew up on this stuff and i mean there you know i was very well catechized very committed to my faith but at some point in my i think in my in my late 20s so i got married my wife and i got married in our mid 20s in my late 20s i you know we were starting to have some financial struggles some struggles about our future we had like two young kids we were really trying to figure things out and started to lean on my faith a little bit more but i realized i didn't really know how to do that because one of the things in this traditionalist mentality or this reactionary catholic mentality is it's all about rules and fear of hell and i'm right and you're wrong and us versus them and you know this is a sin and that's not a sin but there was i had very little encounter um encounter like in terms of relationship with Christ I mean these are things I had heard of but you know it's like well Protestants believe that they're friends with Jesus that's not a you know I'd never really heard that in a Catholic context before and so I kind of started on this journey of discovery I, it dawned on me it's like you know I've, I've read about how Christ brings joy and how um God is merciful and loves us. And, you know, we're supposed to care for one another. And, and it's like, my religious experience hadn't um, didn't involve a ton of that. So I spent a lot of time, I would say like from 20 uh, from 2010 to like 2013, really trying to discover that, you know, I read a lot of Pope Benedict I read, um, you know, I, I, became more active in the church. I did more service. I became more community oriented. I started to understand what it was like to have a relationship with God more than just to um, fear and dutifully, but joylessly follow. So I had this whole vision of, wait, you know, someone who accompanies someone on the journey of faith, they realize that they're I, and I think Pope Benedict even helped inform me of some of this in some of his writing about everyone's on a journey, everyone's starting from a different place. I mean, there was a judgmentalism that I had being raised in this strict. I mean, I, I mean, I don't, I don't want to make it sound like it was the harshest thing ever. It's just that's you know people teach what they know, right? Uh, um, so I don't want to be super judgmental towards towards my my parents or grandparents, but. Um, basically like not everybody had that same level of catechesis that I did, or that same level of learning. This is a mortal sin and this is a venial sin. And you need to go to mass every Sunday because this is your obligation. Like a lot of people just don't have that background and you can't judge people from your own background. Um, or assuming that they, that they have the same foundation that you do anyway. So this all kind of happens. And, um, or so I, I kind of go through this this conversion process or, or building up a spiritual life process. You know, I started going to confession, daily mass regularly, like weekly confession, daily mass, weekly adoration. Um, really pouring myself into my prayer life, reading, and then um, in the beginning of twenty thirteen, Pope Benedict resigns, and that was obviously a huge you know shock. And but everyone was, I mean, you know, we, we were looking forward to who's the next Pope going to be. And um, Pope Francis gets elected. And at first, you know, he starts doing some of these gestures. Well, I I don't know if you were Catholic yet, or if you were, um, were you Catholic or were you following that conclave at all or anything? No, I wasn't at okay. all. <laughs> so, I mean, the thing is, it's like, I I had been, you know, we had experienced it eight years before with Pope Benedict and when Pope Francis walks out, you know, I've never heard of him, but then, uh, you know, I was watching it with a group of people and they're like, Oh, this is the guy from Argent, you know, from Argentina. And, and he walks out and he's just sort of like staring at the crowd and he, and he goes, he, he waves one hand up and goes, "Buonasera." <laughs> Like just good evening. And it's like, who is this guy? And then he says, and then one of the first things he did was he said, uh, it's customary for the new Pope to, to bless the crowds, to bless the people. Uh, But before I do that, I would like to ask a favor of you um, that, that you would pray for God to bless me. And he bowed his head while, and you know had his head down for a good 30 seconds or a minute while the whole world that's watching this is is praying for him. So there's some gestures that he did at first that were just sort of like he's not following
0: right right the, the strict not following decorum. The traditional order.
1: <laughs> and if you know me a little bit like I'm kind of an improvisational person myself too um I think it's just sort of an uh, uh an extrovert thing. <laughs> um you know, just sort of like, oh, let's play this by ear. So then it was during Lent. So he said, okay, well, for Holy Thursday mass, instead of having this traditional mass in St. Peter's, uh, I want to do a mass in this youth prison in Rome. And I'm going to wash the feet of 12 prisoners. You know, these young people who are 16 to 25, including, I think four of them were women. And I think two of them were Muslims. So Mm. so it's sort of like, and so it's like, I'm, but it's like, I'm intrigued because it's, uh, I'm, I'm seeing on one hand, this is how, like, I see how uh, people are responding to these gestures and they're like, wow, you know, this is interesting. Like, this isn't the same old stuff. People were starting to perk up and have this interest. And I mean, to some degree, these are, these are just gestures but they're also meaningful gestures. Mm -hmm. But then there was also this crowd that's like, it is improper form to wash the feet of women, much less ones who aren't Catholic. And, you know, and I'm like, can you see what's going on here? So, so basically for the first five or six years of Francis's ministry, I'm sort of watching this, this gap happen. And all these Catholic sources that I used to rely on and, and, listen to one by one they they started doubting the pope doubting his orthodoxy doubting the reliability of his teaching and um during my um conversion years i guess the you know the 3 years leading up to francis's papacy I was also, one of the things that I was, I was really concerned about, or, or I wanted to get to the bottom of, was the, these conspiracy theories. Like, w- was there anything to them? Like, you hear these same narratives brought up over and over and over again. And um, one of the biggest fears that traditionalists have had for 50 years or something like that would be, um, is the idea that some infiltrator will take over the papacy. Some Freemason agent or some spy.
0: Ah, you know? Q Q uh Taylor Marshall's book. Exactly.
1: Yeah. And I like I, I was worried. I was like, well, is this in the book of Revelation? Because you know, I mean, it, you, you have the Jim Gaffigan joke. <laughs> it's like, well, I, I'm Catholic, so I don't read the Bible. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> where the I'm not that bad, I don't think. But <laughs> but it's like, um, you know, where, where are they getting this stuff? Right. And and I found out that it, you know, I started to investigate it and read people who were debunking it. And a lot of it came from like Marian apparitions that were taken out of context, ones that weren't even approved, um, false seers or people who, you know, started fringe groups or they're tying together all these prophecies basically doing in the they did this they did in the 70s and 80s what taylor marshall did in the 20 in 2020 2019 2020 mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um and just like i and i know you wrote a, a piece about peter um and the the role of the successor of, the, of peter it's like i started to read well what does the church actually teach about the papacy and about the Pope. And I kept coming across these, you know, everything that I read about the Pope operated under the assumption that the Pope is the person who guarantees that the church is following the gospel. You know, and, and that's that's one of the things. It's, it's sort of like in Protestantism, if there's a theological debate Well, he's got a good point. He's got a good point. I guess if they can't work it out between them, they can each start their own thing, you know? Right,
0: right.
1: (laughs) And so it's sort of like, but whereas, I mean, it's kind of even on a human level. I mean, we believe that the the Holy Spirit assists the church uh, and assists the Pope in his ministry and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. But um, even from a human level, it's like you need... Like who's going to be the tiebreaker, and it's laid out very clearly. If there's a doctrinal dispute, you can have a, a ecumenical council, which is under the pope, or the pope himself can settle a question. Um, you know, we saw that with the the civil union blessings uh, statement that came out the other. You know, it's it's sort of the pope makes a decision, and it might be a certain kind of authority. It might be a certain, you know, it might, it might just be a temporary decision, but it's sort of like you have this person with this authority and you can't overrule him. The built-in thing though, is Christ guaranteed that that person is going to remain faithful to the gospel to, to Christ. Um, I mean, and so I'm seeing these people doubting the papacy, doubting the Pope, Um, I mean, obviously Francis has a different spin on things as I, you know, as we were discussing, um, but yeah, so uh, that's kind of where at a certain point I got laid off from my job. Um, and I had been working for the church for seven years and I felt like, I mean, people were like, oh, you don't want to work for the church anymore. You know, it's like, go, you know, go get a job. I don't know, selling real estate or whatever, and and I was just like, I, I just feel like I have more, like I feel called to do something. It's like I see very clearly because my own experience speaks to what is going on right now so clearly, and I I also saw this opening. I saw, I mean, yeah, there there was definitely a place to defend the Pope, and that's where we've spent a lot of our energy. But I also saw a place for catholic writing that offer that was faithful to the magisterium that offered a diversity of voices from different cultures of a diversity of perspectives um that touched on important issues to for catholics that wasn't in this boxed in ideology um especially like what the american catholic church had become so I don't know, I've rambled for a while. Do you have any uh, no, no? you're good. <laughs> any good. thoughts
0: or any questions? <laughs> so my next question, I mean, you already pretty much covered, you know, how did web PDAs get started. And, um, you know, I, didn't ever, I never knew that uh, you, like from your own personal experience, you know, that was a big motivational force for the website to get started. So that's cool to hear, you know. So, you know, based on your website, you know, you defend Pope Francis against like these critics that are in the church that are like pretty vocal Though they're like small, they do have like a large audience and a large platform. We're talking like uh, Taylor Marshall, somebody who gets like a hundred thousand views in a day of a, a video he makes. Oh, so yeah. why do you think it's necessary to combat, you know, falsehoods with faithfulness to the uh, Holy Father?
1: Well, so what I what I experienced in witnessing um, Catholic media was that certain things were not being addressed. Um, for example, you you take the story of Amoris Laetitia, which is the document, um, the the papal document on uh, exhortation on marriage and the family, and uh, conservative traditionalist Catholics had a big problem with uh, chapter eight, and um, they they thought that footnote three hundred fifty one, <laughs> like they went through the whole thing and they found. If it says what it seems to say, was their thinking, then this is heresy.
0: Right. I remember that. I mean, I wasn't even a Catholic. And yeah. I remember, you know, major news outlets saying that.
1: And so that you had these four cardinals who submitted uh, dubia, which is basically questions. They they submit the four cardinals submitted five questions and the questions are, uh, were very loaded. Um, it was like, did you mean to say in, you know, foot, footnote three hundred fifty one that uh, you know ca- that adulterers may receive communion, and does this mean that we are no longer to consider veritatis splendor as valid? <laughs> you know, and so it's like, how do you answer that, yes or no? You know, <laughs> it's, I mean, um, it, basically these bad faith questions that were all kind of setups, and and Pope Francis didn't answer it. And I think for 90% of the people out there, um, that was a really, um, probably the smart move, because people forgot about it. But the people who didn't forget about it were the American conservative Catholics that I grew up with, or the, or the outlets like EWTN, or Catholic News Agency, or First Things. They have not let go of that issue. It's still as fresh for them now as it was four years ago. And, um, and so people were looking for answers like, okay, I want to think well of the Pope, but when I look up the dubia, it's like people saying that it's, that the Morse Letitia is heresy. And then on, you look at like the more progressive or mainstream Catholic media and they're treating it like it's an old story that nobody cares about. So it's like when your whole world is fixated on this one version of this one story and nobody is responding to these concerns. Like you want to think the best, but you don't even know what the best is. And another incident is the um, Amazon synod with the, um, you know, they had the, the indigenous Catholics did a, a like a prayer ritual where they went around in a circle and they had these figures that they, you know, and then they knelt down on the ground. And I mean, the thing is it's like these are catholics from the amazon they live in communities where they don't have churches they don't have priests they have the word you know they they and they take very good care of their of their book of gospels and their bibles um and they and they've developed their own traditions of how to celebrate it's like we don't have a priest we have each other this is our culture. We go around in circles. We we make little figurines that symbolize life. And anyway, this whole narrative sprung up that they were worshiping, that, that it was idolatry and that they were worshiping demons. And this was relentless. I mean, Taylor Marshall, uh, the remnant, Michael Voris. Right, right. All of these people are hammering this story. And I had friends who were over in Rome at the time. And I'm asking them, I'm trying to get info from them like, hey, is anybody going to say anything about this? Because things are getting pretty nutty. And my response from them was, oh, don't pay attention to those crazies. They're just the fringe, right? And, and Pedro Gabriel, um, one of our contributors, one of our founding contributors uh, is Portuguese. And he's fluent in Portuguese. He speaks Spanish because the languages are very close. And so he decided, let me watch this whole video. Let me see what this is all about. So he watches the video and he hears, basically, it's a bunch of prayers about Jesus and Mary and St. Francis and, um, you know, the Eucharist. I mean, like these really Catholic prayers. Then this group comes in, they do this little ritual. They walk up to Pope Francis and present their little bowls of their figures or their, their bowls of fruit or their, you know, whatever. And Pope Francis is greeting them one by one and blessing them. And then there's this figure, this wooden figure of this woman and the lady who presents it to Pope Francis says, our lady of the Amazon.
0: Right. or The Pachamama.
1: Well, and so, but they decided it was the Pachamama and that became the narrative.
0: Right. And,
1: but so the thing is like the mainstream Catholic press wasn't paying much attention to this or they're just poo pooing it because there was a synod going on. Like there were important issues being discussed in Rome. The real story was what's going to be decided at this synod, you know, what are we going to do for the people of the Amazon region? What, what are the needs of their church? Let's give them a chance to express what's going on, their hardships, how, you know, how we can better address their uh, lack of resources you know, the fact that there are uh, Presbyterians or not Presbyterians, uh, Pentecostals that'll come through and, um, you know, try to convert them to the prosperity gospel. Um, Just a lot of real concerns going on in the Amazon, in the Amazonian church. And they were covering that, which is what, you know, responsible journalists, I guess, do. But what we were seeing from our angle, from where Peter is, um, because we're addressing this narrative that's developed. It's like, somebody's got to say something about this. And the funny thing is, so our traffic skyrocketed, because we were the only outlet that was giving the other side of the story. Now, Pedro, he was combing through like brazilian websites and reading them in portuguese and he was trying to contact organize organizers of the different rituals and the different groups that were over there in in um in rome from the amazon like he was really like we were trying to we were doing our best to do our due diligence um the people in rome didn't really seem to think that it was that big of a deal but then all of a sudden when um alexander Schugul from austria came and oh, the stole, statue. stole the statues and <laughs> pitched them into the river <laughs> all of a sudden people noticed <laughs> and they wanted to know what was going on so that kind of be, that kind of launched us um you know our 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 traffic like quadrupled after that um yeah so that that it, but then because of that i think we we kind of got opened up to new opportunities um more people were expressing interest in writing for us um, people with broader interests were interested in writing for us and frankly I mean the thing is as as far as that like is the traditionalist viewpoint correct question um, you can only do that for so long before you've exhausted pretty much every topic it's like listen we've laid it out for you <laughs> it's like if you want to you go ahead and read our Pachamama articles and decide for yourself at this point because it's you know going back and forth like this is um can get pretty tiring so um so yeah so I think after that I mean that's when I, I'm not sure when you wrote your first article for us Was yeah it definitely 20- like in summer of
0: 2019
1: 2020 2020 2020 okay so so the synod was october 2019 right right and that's when we started branching out a little bit more i know we had um well you were introduced to me uh by nate right who started writing for well i recruited him to write for us in like summer 2019 and i think he finally wrote it in december 2019 um his first piece and then um you know just started picking up Twitter followers and, and um, people like the Pope's biographer, Austin Ivory and uh, Rome correspondent, Christopher Lamb. I mean, certain people were really taking notice of us and, and appreciating the work that we were doing because we were, people don't necessarily like all of us. I mean, really, we were, we're a bunch of Benedict the 16th Catholics who are also Pope Francis Catholics. I mean, that's really all it is to it. Whereas the people who we were fans of Benedict the 16th with, it's like two thirds of them just decided that they didn't like the Pope when they got a new one. And it's like, I didn't think it was contingent. I mean, you don't have to like have warm feelings for the Pope. I mean, I don't know what your particular feelings are towards Pope Francis, but it's the I mean, the idea is that the church isn't going to go totally off the rails you know, the, the church isn't going to start teaching heresy from the, you know, from the chair of St. Peter. We, I mean, that's part of, that's the assurance that we're given. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, so that we kind of grew from there and, and I know that we've been, you know, people are like, well, why don't you have more women? Why don't you address more cultural issues? And I'm like, yeah, I'm like, I would really love to. Like, I mean, we've been branching out in terms of contributors and I'm, I'm very grateful for that, but it, it took a while to, and and especially because I think some of the topics that we covered are only interested in interesting to certain demographics. I mean, really nerdy nitpicking like this Canon law versus that <laughs> Canon law. And it's like, that's like, I don't know. That's like, we started as four nerdy white guys and <laughs> <laughs> <It's>
0: like, <laughs> no, but a lot of stuff that you guys run is like really you know in research and has like a lot of links that you need to click and understand further context for. So it all seems very like researched, like any article that you put out. Um so I'm always grateful to read what you guys put out and it's always like super investigative uh in this approach. Um so my next question. You know, going back to, I guess, in the last, like, five years or so, or ever since, or it's been noticeable for me within the last five years that, um, you know, misinformation and, like, the 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 term fake news has been coming up, like, so much. Um, you know, as a major news outlet in the church, or at least I think you're a major news outlet in the
1: church. Um, we'll get do you there. Feel an
0: obligation, <laughs> do you feel an obligation to report accurate uh, and bias-free content to help everyday Catholics uh, understand issues? do you feel like it's a certain responsibility to do that
1: yeah i mean i guess you could say that i'm i'm one of those people who says everyone has a bias right mm-hmm. but we do have a responsibility to make sure that we cover our bases like you're talking about those links we make a point of if we're criticizing someone we want to make sure you have the link so you can see what we're talking about. If you think, you know, maybe maybe our bias influenced uh, the way we phrase something, or maybe we overjudge something. Well, tell you what, you can click back on that original and, and read it if you want. Um, it's very important to me that certain assertions are uh, backed up by, you know, by a source or by a link. Um, it helps that some of the people who write for us are like PhDs. So I mean, I'm kind of flattered that it's like, we'll get a submission from a theologian who teaches at some Catholic university. And it's like, Holy smokes, like, you know, I, you know, here, I am just, I'm just a blogger, you know? Um, but um, th- they don't like if there are statements, like, I mean, I, you know, I was just talking, cause I was just editing your piece today. Um, and I just wanted to make sure, like, There were certain assertions that you made like okay so um you know you wrote about father augustus venerable augustus tolton and it's like okay he went from here to here he went he went from uh illinois to rome um and then back to illinois and so i just wanted to make sure like okay did he get that in the right order Like I'm not like if something and so I didn't necessarily provide a link, but I, it's like, I wanted to make sure that you're, and I mean, that's, that's one of the things that we do. Like we're not just a blog in the sense of people just post whatever they want and that's it. Like everything goes through an editorial filter. Everything goes through a fact check. Um, One of the things that we do is make sure that we aren't putting forth opinions that go contrary to Catholic doctrine um, or that we're, you know, promoting something that if there's something, I mean, it's one thing to say, like, like we did a book review recently and the book itself uh, had parts that opposed Catholic teaching. And so it was important to me that it's like, okay, you can review any book. We can review any book, but let's, but we have, we owe a responsibility to our audience to let them know that even though there are some good parts to this book and it's worth reading for these reasons, just know that there are certain aspects that are opposed to the magisterium. Like we feel really um, bound to that. If the, if there's a teaching, um, you know, we wanna make sure that the teaching is articulated well. The um, I, <laughs> I joke with, I'm not gonna name the writer, but one of them, uh, like two pieces in a row hand it hand it in a piece you know talking about the pope and how great the pope is and said something like the pope's teachings are inspired and it's like well no that's not that's not the right word theologically like right, um, right. you know scripture <laughs> is inspired you could say inspirational like you know like you and i like i'm inspired by you every day just listening to your podcast, you know, that's, right, I but mean, but that's a casual kind of inspired, but you don't throw in the word, like what the Pope does is he, you know, he leads, he teaches, but that type of direct inspiration from God is not part of, you know, he doesn't get a special revelation, like revelation, public revelation was closed with the death of the last apostle. And so, so it's like the little things like that, you know, we're trying to, we try to check the words, I've had pieces that were submitted on tough topics, um, and I'll send them to theologians to say, does this contradict doctrine? Does this promote, uh, you know, is this, is this the right way to word this statement? Um, so, yeah, we're, I mean, we are very careful about that because it's, I mean, it's important to us which is the funny thing because we get accused of being heretics all the time, but we're, I mean, we really go out of our way to try to now there are certain things that we have brought up that are, that are say under debate or under discussion. Um, like we had Phyllis Sagano on and she was part of a papal uh, commission for women uh, deacons. But the thing is, okay, we don't have women deacons right now. And there's some discussion over, obviously, women, the church officially teaches women cannot receive sacramental holy orders to become priests. There is kind of an open question about deacons, though. So we made very clear in the beginning and at the end, like, well, whatever, the, you know, it's up to the church. But this is what her participation in that debate was within the confines that were set by the church. And, you know if she had started saying, well, I think, you know, women should be popes or something like that. It's like, that wouldn't have been, that wouldn't have fit within the bounds, but it's like, okay, this is something that's under discussion from the church. She's been sanctioned by the Vatican to present her side of the story. So yeah, we'll talk to her. And then at the very end, she said, you know what, if the Pope says no, he says, no, this is what I think, but I'm not the Pope and I'm not the Holy spirit. And she said that, the, the Holy spirit gives the church what she needs. So <laughs> she leaves it in God's hands. And I, I don't think those kinds of discussions are bad. I think, I think we can, as long as we're ultimately willing to. Um, accept that we're wrong or that the church has overruled us. I think we can propose things, especially if the church has asked us to.
0: That's a good point of view to embrace. Uh, thank you for sharing that. So uh, second to the last question is, um, you touched a little bit about you know some of the important work that you've done regarding like the Amazon Senate that happened in 2019 in the fall. Um, so what are like some other like investigative or like um, pieces that you've done that you know shattered conspiracies or opened and provided like a uh, enlightenment to you know believers in Christ? Um, not to I mean I know I know as like a a participant of the, of the site. Some of the work that I really enjoyed, not necessarily like investigative pieces, but like D.W. Lafferty's works on, on like the Marian apocalypse. Like you were like a five part like yeah. um, piece on the Marian apocalypse. And as a convert to the Catholic Church, like that's all I hear about is Mary. And so I think his insights and like his analysis on it was like so enlightening and also he wrote something on like life site like the the humble beginnings yeah. or like life site and i thought that was very investigative too cuz it just provides so much context on like how did this organization start from like this little small <laughs> sale <laughs> to like this global you know right wing
1: and why are they so hardcore and yeah why did they yeah i mean it's funny because one of the things that we do is we allow i mean being <laughs> being an all all volunteer outlet it's like, okay, can you write? Does this fit within our general mission? All right, <laughs> you know, we'll publish it. And um, David Lafferty, he has a PhD in, uh, I think, comparative literature, and he studied uh, reactionary movements in the twentieth century. Like, I think that's what his um, dissertation was on. So he just has a fascination wow, with these okay. little like movements of sort of extremism. He's from Canada, so Site News is from Canada, and and um, he kind of wanted to follow up, like where did they where did they get these theories about it being the end of the world? Um, now the the Marian Apocalypse series was was I think was extremely helpful because, like I was telling you, it's like there are these theories that become mainstream, three days of darkness, or um,
0: the exaltation of Fatima in Medjugorje.
1: Yeah. And, and what David was able to do is really break down, um, where did these originate? Who was behind them? Are they based on real truth? Usually it's a cobbled together version of somebody's opinion, some apparition and a little bit of the Bible and some church teaching. I mean, you know, um, but he was really able to get to the root of that. And I think that really opened up people's um, perspective, people who maybe had been thinking, you know, it's like, I've been hearing this stuff from the people at church. And and it's really, um, you know, I don't know what to think of this. They seem to know what they're talking about, but I've never heard of this. And this was, this isn't in my catechism. And the fact is, it's not. But people want to know where it came from and, and who thought of that. So I think that that's been an, uh, an enlightening thing. Um, we've also had some very powerful personal pieces that have been written by people. Um, I know that uh, Melinda Ribneck wrote one uh, not too long ago, and right, you know, not, right. to, not to go into too much detail, but it was she was the victim of a violent crime. And it was a crime where she could have very easily been murdered and it was her journey to, 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 um, forgive, you know, and, and to respect the dignity of this person who had done this horrible thing to her, who, um, he's in, I mean, he's in prison now, but he's going to get out, you know, maybe in 10 years or so, um, and, and just sort of how she evolved on that. And, and, and also one of the things was this recent spate of, of death penalty, uh, the executions, federal executions, uh, it really made her think about this, you know, it really brought up these emotions for her and she, she wanted to write about it. And I mean, I have to say like, I, um, you know, I, I, I mentioned on, on the last, uh, live stream we did, it's, it's like, I was talking to Austin Ivory because he was like, this was a tremendous piece. Like, where do you come up with these writers? (laughs) And um, I, and I was, I was like, I was, I was so intimidated having to edit it because, and he's like, well, of course you were, she handed you her soul. Um, You know, we've had people write about, um, sorry, we've, we've had people write about uh, their experiences with miscarriage
0: Mm -hmm. um,
1: experiences with the death of a loved one um, experiences with, with great pain in their lives. Um, we had one writer who, um, wrote about how he was in, you know, he was part of a, a group that wound up being a cult. And, um, you know, I, I, those personal pieces, you know, I feel especially honored. I mean, I don't know if honored is the right word, but I feel a, a great responsibility and, uh, to, present their story and to present their struggles in the in the um most responsible light possible and to and to really make sure that the pieces are effective in the way that they they want them to be. Um, but I think you know there are other issues where we've we've definitely helped convince people um of the continuity between Francis and and Benedict. I think Um, you know, we've had, we've had stories about the Eucharist. I mean, we've, we've really, we've run the gamut. And I think, especially because we've increased the level of diversity in our writers, we have so many women now and, and people of color. I mean, we we're always looking for more. You wrote the piece, Raising My Race Up to His Glory, I think was the title. The way you, the way you put that, really I mean just the way you encapsulate it's like God elevated something that's that's natural and that's part of you but he glorified it and I I mean I just thought that that was just a I mean I had the you know the image you know the the glorified body the resurrection of the body and and that the fact that you're you know that you're a black man I'm a white man you know, hopefully I'll have a six pack when, <laughs> you know, when my body's glorified new body <laughs> now, but, um, but it, it just, it just really like our, our, who we are, how we identify. I mean, the way that you were able to, to, to talk about that. I, I mean, I was I was inspired by that. Wow. Um, I think we've really touched on a lot of, we've tried to, um, make it we've tried to separate faith from ideology i don't know how successful we've been especially after november (laughs) Um, where you know i mean the thing is it's like to me i it's something that pope francis has really emphasized and it's like the faith is more important than this political party if a political party is teaching something or is, is promoting something that's wrong you know we we do need to recognize that it's evil we can't just gloss it over um, so i think I don't know if that really answers your question, but I gave a few examples i think of of things that have that have really moved me and i've I've been inspired i think by i mean i don't i don't know it's got to be the Holy Spirit because I don't know how these people came together very few of i mean of of the contributors. Who have I met in person? Adam Rasmussen, uh Don Eden Goldstein and and Austin when he was in town. Like the rest of you guys, I've I've never <laughs> been in the same room with you. Um so it's it's sort of a motley crew of of people who are interconnected with one another and um
0: like the Justice League of, of talent.
1: <laughs> exactly. And when we can all fly,
0: we'll we'll all meet in the Hall of Justice or the <laughs> So my last question. Is you told me your favorite? I think you told me your confirmation saint some time ago. Um, I forgot who it was, but who was a saint that's like super influential and impactful uh, for your walk? Well, if I'll tell you,
1: I could give you two answers or I can give you the story of my confirmation saint.
0: It tell you what, Which one of you tell thinking? you what? I'm gonna give you All a quick
1: answer, gonna give you a quick answer for the first one. Um, the saint who's most important, I think, for my walk right now is Saint. Lucy. Uh, she is the patron saint of the eyes. Right. right. I was diagnosed with glaucoma, severe glaucoma last year. I'm 70, 70% blind in my left eye and 20 or 30% in my right. I actually have a doctor's appointment tomorrow. Um, trying to find the right combination of drops to make it like it's incurable, but you can slow or stop the progression. So that's, you know Saint Lucy, pray for us um but uh I've always loved uh, you know I was the f- like when I was a little kid, I was the first one with glasses in first grade, you know, I felt weird having glasses, but then uh got a saint's book, and Saint Lucy was on you know they had them by the days or whatever, and she was December thirteenth the patron saint of the eyes, and um my youngest daughter, who's four um she was born on December 13th. Mm-hmm. So I was like, got to name her Lucy. <laughs> you know, all my other kids, you know, they were like born on like St. Polycarp day or St. Athanasius and it, you know, it didn't work out, but it's like, mm-hmm. come on. So um, yeah. Now the story of my confirmation saint, and it's funny because my son is going through the same thing right now. He's in eighth grade and he's can't figure out a saint. Um, so I couldn't figure out who I wanted. You know, I was Catholic school, eighth grade, religion class, Sister Mary Ellen, you got to figure out a saint. I had all my saints books out, probably the same one with Saint, but of course I had to pick a guy saint because I didn't want to like, you know, get made fun of or whatever. Um, I had it all like, I'm going to read these and read these. And then one day in class, I'm sitting in the front row, like in the on the side, she pulls out a sign up sheet. She says, okay, we're going to pass this around. Write the name of your confirmation saint on it. It puts it down right in front of me. And I was like, I'm not ready for this. (laughs) So I just scribbled the first thing that came to mind, St. George. Okay. So then we had to write a two-page paper on our saint. Well, it turns out that St. George, um, we know that he lived in Asia Minor, and he died as a martyr in like approximately 357 AD. That's all we know about him. There's a legend that he killed a dragon. Probably didn't happen. <laughs> I got to write a two-page paper on this guy, right? And so in retrospect, I'm like looking back and I'm like, but here's the thing. He, they've got this legend that's lasted, right? He's the patron saint of England. Their ch- churches named St. George all over the place. He's on the liturgical calendar. Like, you know what? We don't know what St. George did. But it must have been pretty awesome if they're still talking about him today. <laughs>
0: right. His legacy must have been <laughs> something for Whatever he it. did. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Tremendous graces coming from St. George.
0: Okay. Okay. it's a funny little story about Lucy. Um, there's like a, a Latino Hispanic parish in the archdiocese in the, in the city. I live like outside the city. Yeah. But within the city, like outside of downtown Houston, There's a parish I used to go, just like out of spur of moment, out of uh, convenience when the time was right. Yeah, and uh, they have like a a Saint Lucie image there. I always thought it was a Marian image, (laughs) and so I was like, "Oh, that's a cool image, you know, of uh, a good statue of Mary." And so one time I went up there and took a photo of it, and I was like, "Well, okay, why these eyeballs? I never really paid attention to the (laughs) eyeballs on the platter." And then, like a couple of months later, I just started looking at the image. I'm like, wow, okay, eyeballs. Who is this person? Because I never know Mary to have like a patron saint of eyeballs. So <laughs> I got a crash course on Lucy that day.
1: Yeah, that's, I mean, that, you can't forget that image. Yeah. <laughs> the only yeah. one that competes is St. Dennis, who walks around with his head. He's holding his head after it got chopped off.
0: Oh, so. okay. I got to <laughs> look him up. <laughs> Well, this was um, that's going to conclude this interview. But I definitely appreciated you coming on, and sharing you know so much about you know, the vital work that you do at Where PD is, and also sharing like the importance of like how your own faith journey impacted um, like the creation of uh, Where PD is, which is like a very very valuable resource uh, for so many in the church uh, that people look to and like go to for guidance and, um, on the current issues of the day. So thank you for coming on and uh, sharing this information. I appreciate it a lot
1: yeah thanks for having me i gotta you gotta return the favor one of these days so
0: (laughs) right right well you guys make sure you make sure you pay attention and continue like to subscribe and pay attention to where peter is and keep mike in uh, your prayers for the work that he does for a church because it's very important and obviously it's much needed as you can tell what he said in the conversation today so you guys can tune in to the next um episode of saintly witnesses